It's time for the WCW Monday Nitro main event of the evening. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. We ain't here to play. But it's Donald Trump hangs on to the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm as they sink to the bottom of the sea. Thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. I'm here to take a good, long look at this crap I'm in. Oh, my new name is Seven, by the way, so... They've dressed me up like Uncle Fester. And I don't mind telling you, I was wearing these $600 custom-made lizard shoes and this $13,000 Rolex. Welcome to the main event podcast clint Schweitzer, alongside noah groniger and Noah, i'll tell you this there are a lot of wrestling podcasts out there we hail our comrade conrad thompson and his network of podcasts we love listening to shows like 83 weeks and something to wrestle with but here on the main event we have something that they don't have and that is guests we are bringing on guests from the world of wrestling we are going back to revisit some of the great moments of wrestling past and that's what we're going to be doing here on the main event we thank you so much for joining us today's guest none other than the world's most dangerous announcer gary michael capetta you remember him from uh, the late 80s early 90s in wcw uh, he was actually fired just a few months before monday nitro began in wcw Worked for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation in the 70s. He's been around the wrestling business now for over 50 years. It's incredible. Noah, the early 90s is uh, really where I was indoctrinated into the wrestling world. Um, seeing stars like Ric Flair, Sting, Lex Luger, the Steiner Brothers, the Four Horsemen on WCW television. I know you came in a few years later, but this time is very integral into my youth. And having Gary join us on this show to talk about a myriad of topics is going to be a pleasure. And we just saw Gary sort of emceeing the weigh-in in AEW at Dynamite in Kansas City between Chris Jericho and John Moxley. So we got a connection there. We absolutely do. We're going to have to ask him about that, just how he was brought back in and just kind of the feeling he got being back at a big wrestling event uh, there at Silverstein Ice Centers here in Kansas City. And uh, they're doing a big event. I mean, they had Tony Schiavone there who could have done it, but they brought Gary Michael Capetta in uh, to do that. And it was great to see him back. And just we got to get into, like you mentioned, kind of that uh, mid-80s, uh, early 90s WCW, a little bit before my time, but uh, there was so much going on in the company and so many big stars and just his delivery and just how simple it was, but it was effective. It added to the uh, the entrance for the st the wrestlers coming down but it didn't take away from it which i feel like is what's happening today the guys are just these giants just intros they're trying to take it away put the focus on themselves and not on the wrestler and their intro and so uh, i feel like that's a lost art is the in-ring announcer and that goes back to gary michael capetta and ladies and gentlemen their opponents accompanied by their number one voting and best friend little wizard marley from Bastry, USA, in Atlanta, Georgia, the greatest rock and roll band of all time, the fabulous Freebirds! 
you're absolutely right. And uh, his delivery, always so poised, very distinct. I was always such a fan of it. And it really helped sell me on guys like, uh, you know, Ric Flair, Sting, the way he would introduce Sting as, this is Sting. I mean, I was such a fan of it. He added a lot to the presentation for me. And uh, early 90s in WCW, I I'm telling you, to me, I watched WWF and WCW from the time that I was five years old, uh, starting in around 1989, and that which is when Gary came into WCW. So many great events, so many memorable moments, like Sting beating Ric Flair at the Great American Bash 1990 for his first world title. Gary was on hand for that. Let's talk about things like Starcade Future Shock 1989, the uh, Round Robin Tournament. Um, he was there for, you know, maybe lesser uh, events that we kind of want to forget, like the WCW Chamber of Horrors at Halloween Havoc or the Thunderdome Cage Match. Maybe even we'll get into the Black Scorpion Starcade 90 for WCW. All these things helped form my childhood. Looking back, some of them were good. Some of them were terrible. I mentioned a few of them there, but... Gary was a part of all this and they started bringing in guys like Michael Buffer in 1993 to do some of the main events. And then he was originally, uh, or he was an, eventually replaced by David Penzer at WCW. So a lot to get in with Gary. Let's get right to it. Our interview on the main event podcast, guys, we appreciate you so much for listening. We have many other interviews that are going to be coming up and popping up and topics and pay-per-views and things we're going to be going back to because what else is there to do? We're watching WWE Network 24-7 now. You can't go to a movie. You can't go to a bar. You can't go to a restaurant. You can't watch basketball. Can't watch golf. So guess what? WWE Network is always there for us. So with that being said, it is our pleasure to go ahead and welcome to the Main Event Podcast, the world's most dangerous announcer. I've always wanted to say that. Gary Michael Capetta. Gary, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hi, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Well, Gary, this is a true pleasure in every sense of the word, my friend, and thanks for joining us here this morning. Although I guess with uh, not much else going out of, going on out there in the world, why, what else is there to do but to talk a little wrestling, I guess, right? <laughs> Sounds like a good thing to me, yeah. Well, absolutely. Um, first off, um, kind of want to start with this because we're here in Kansas City, meaning just a few weeks ago, um, we saw you live here at AEW Dynamite on February 26th here in Kansas City. Um, it was really cool to see you. You were promoting kind of the the, the weigh-in with John, John uh, Chris Jericho and John Moxley. You were there in the ring. It was just great to see you. Just kind of talk about how, how that came to be with you kind of hosting that, uh, that weigh-in for AEW. Um, you know, it was, um, it had been a long time since I had been in front of such a hot audience like that. So uh, I was a little unnerving to begin with, you know, um, I had just been notified a few days before, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it felt good to, uh, to be out once again. I mean, I, I go out all the time to do guest ring announce appearances, but you know, nothing that. Um, that large, you know. So yeah, the, I mean, it was a great crowd. We had a good time in uh, Kansas City. Well, where do you see wrestling today with uh, WWE and now AEW coming in, kind of pushing WWE? Uh, do you feel like that promotion has a chance to really kind of grab a foothold, grab their footing here in the wrestling world? Well, absolutely. I mean, they already have. They've they've been extended for a few years on TNT, so AEW is not going anywhere. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan with all of the different alternatives um, so that if WWE is not your cup of tea, maybe AEW would be, and um, you know, then you have the online NWA series and MLW and 
Ring of Honor. I mean, it just goes on and on. Impact. So there's there's so much out there that, um, and I always am a, a huge advocate for uh, the independent circuit. I always try to get out um, several times a year. Um, I'll go in. I'll buy you know buy a ticket, sit up in the bleachers, and you know check out um, do a little scouting. You know. Um, so and in the area that I where I live, and there's independent wrestling every weekend, and you have multiple shows from which to choose. So um, yeah, I mean if 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 you're a wrestling fan, there's something out there for you to enjoy. Well, I tell you, Gary, a big part of being a wrestling fan for me um, was uh, started in the late '80s um, on in WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions. And that, uh, of course, involved you coming into the company in uh, 1989. You'd been in the WWF prior to that. But in 1989, where really uh, the foundation for wrestling kind of begins for me, you come into uh, WCW, which uh, had just been bought by Ted Turner. Uh, kind of take us through that transition. I know you'd been with the WWF and you'd done a lot of other things in the wrestling business, but a lot of people remember you, of course, as... Uh, the world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta, take us into that transition um, to WCW back in 1989. I had already been um, announcing for 21 years when um, when I started with um, WCW. It was um, yeah, I had worked for the McMahons. That was th- there was no independent wrestling back in those days, so there was no way to. Um, to become good at what you did, you just had to jump in and, and start doing it. And um, when I talk to young, whether it be wrestlers or referees or announcers, I mean, the only way to get good is to do it, is just to you know, have a vision for um, what you want for yourself and to get as, as much experience as you can. But back then, you didn't have an opportunity to get experience because... For instance, in the in the area where I lived in the Northeast, there was only one promotion, and it was the big promotion, and that, that was that was all there was. So um, by the time people saw me in WCW, um, I already had um, a bunch of years under my belt. Um, I had done their um, the ring announcing for their main TV of the McMahons for um, eight years. So. Um, but I saw that there was no future for me there. Um, it was about the time of WrestleMania one. Um, we couldn't envision what WrestleMania would become at the time. I probably wasn't until about WrestleMania three that um, that that phenomenon really sunk into uh, for people. And by then, I was I was I was gone a, a couple of years, and I started to announce for Jim Crockett promotions when they came up to the Northeast um, in Baltimore, New Haven, um, some of the smaller clubs in the area, the Meadowlands. Then it, then it became Pro Wrestling USA with Vern Gagne promoting alongside Jim Crockett. Then I started to do AWA pay-per-views. Um, and then the uh, and WCW wanted me to be exclusive to them and I said, there's only one way that's going to happen, and that is if he put me under contract. And that was in uh, 1989. Um, yeah. Up until that time, I had been teaching school, along with doing my announcing. I mean, that was, it was possible to do that because we were a territory. It was a region, 
and I didn't have to fly out except for these pay-per-views, and then I did a couple of Clash of Champions. But they were you know, a lot of that was on the weekends. So, um, yeah. you know, if, if uh, Jim Hurd, who was the head of uh, WCW, wanted me to be exclusive um, to WCW, they had put me under contract, and that's that's how that began. Well, it's uh, something kind of unbeknownst to me as a kid because I watched uh, WWF and WCW religiously back then. And to me, you know, seeing these stars on TV, nothing could be bigger. To me, every wrestler was just a millionaire. WCW had to just be, you know, wallowing in, in cash. But they were always in dire financial straits, really, from the time Jim Crockett sold the promotion um, to Ted Turner. Yet there was always such a myriad of stars to bank on. Um, and guys, I think that you helped really make with with your style and delivery and, and your announcing style. You, of course, you had Flair, you guys like Great Muda, uh, Sting, Luger, Steiners, the Four Horsemen. Yet WCW was always in such financial straits back then. Can you just talk about uh, the promotion at the time? You mentioned Jim Hurd. A lot of people kind of heap a lot of this onto him, fairly or unfairly. But WCW's production value went up. The pay-per-views were lit a lot better. The, the designs were great, but yet the company was still struggling. Just kind of take us through some of those years in the 90s uh, with great wrestlers, yet financial straits. Well, I think, I think the answer is kind of simple. It's, it's that non-wrestling people, they were television people, um, kept on inserting themselves into the wrestling process. And what they demanded was often not good, for building a wrestling promotion. And they didn't have too much of an idea as to the culture of wrestling and how to um, how to you know how to treat wrestlers and, and people that worked in the wrestling industry. Um, they had uh, you know at that time Ted Turner owned um, you know Space for the Braves and he owned you know a basketball team. I mean he owned leagues but they're very different animal than than pro wrestling so you know they, they kept on um, inserting themselves into um, the workings of pro wrestling and every time they did that uh, we always took several steps back um, instead of hiring wrestling people to run the wrestling division and to leave them alone so that they can build um, an audience and I think that was the underlying, you know, problem overall. Whether it was Jim Hurd or, or any other. I mean, there were other um, wrestling. I mean, um, the TBS or Turner um, executives that inserted themselves along the way because they always, you know, they would never let wrestling run um, without being monitored. So they always had someone from. TV, you know, the Turner organization monitoring um, what we were doing. And, and that was a big problem. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and Gary, you know, I always was such a fan of, of your delivery. It was uh, very distinct, very poised. And one thing that I always thought was very interesting, this is a very subtle thing, but um, the way you would announce people, I remember, uh, obviously, Sting was such a huge star. He was uh, becoming you know, the biggest star in the company. You were there. Obviously, as he wins the world title from Ric Flair at the Great American Bash, but you always announced him with, this is Sting. He had a one-syllable name. It was very different. I just always kind of wondered how you came up with uh, with that specific delivery for the Stinger. Um, it's, it's because of my booming delivery, and Sting, for someone that announces the way I do, 
um, is not an easy, um, it's, it's just not easy to, to belt out that because it's, it's a closed sting. It's not like a flare. Yeah. Um, so I needed a running start before I got to the sting, uh, the, the, the one syllable name. So I just created this is, you know, in order to, because when you belt, when you, when you, when you, um, have that kind of, uh, a style that I do, you really never know whether it's going to be there until you get there. Um, and I was also, I mean, I was announcing, um, house shows. I was on the road. I was doing the clash of champions. I was doing the Saturday night show. I was doing the, uh, WCW worldwide syndicated show. So my voice wasn't always in, uh, in the best of conditions. It, it you know, I, I just, you, you, there's only so much you can do with the style that I have and still have a strong voice at the end of it. Um, so what you saw in the big productions, you know, that may have been in the middle of a, of a 14 day, yeah. uh, stint on the road. Um, to me it was, you know, it was more, I mean, it was more important because of, uh, the money that was being generated from those events but my voice didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's why, you know, and then I also, you mean, I also, once I settled into an introduction, um, I kept it the same each time. That was very important, um, the repetition, so that very often when you, um, when you're driving home from the arena or you turn off the TV, and you picture that wrestler, chances are you might hear my name, you might hear my voice. So that yes. was calculated. Mm -hmm. Well, Gary, uh, the last several months of WCW, uh, I don't know if Eric Bischoff was trying to copy Vince McMahon and what he was doing, but they went a away from having you in the ring and really mentioning or throwing it to the in-ring announcer. Um, and Eric Bischoff told you to speed up your announcements. I want to to, to ask you here is why do you think Eric just didn't come out and tell you his plans to cut your screen time and not mention who you were and just subtly say it by saying, speed up your announcements? Um, well, you're, you're absolutely correct as to why he did what he did. He, he was um, parroting what McMahon was doing in his production. Um, I, I think he... Um, I think he thought just, just because I was an on-air personality that I had a huge ego and that it would be, you know, it would be a confrontation if he told me what he was doing. So he told me how he wanted me to change what I was doing, which was, you know, like speed it up. In other words, we need to get you in and out real mm -hmm. quick. Um, but I didn't know at first when I was, uh, and I said, no problem, you know, like whatever you want. He was the boss. And, uh, but I didn't know that the announcers were talking over me. I just, uh, cause I just wasn't informed. And when, when I was in the arena, I didn't, there was no noticeable difference. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the same thing when he began bringing Michael Buffer in, he called me in to tell me that's what he was doing. He called me into the office and, and, you know, to tell me that's what he was doing. And there was no, um, don't don't take it as a personal slight and and I'm you know I was just wondering like why like you're the boss like you do whatever you want all he was doing 
was bringing Buffer in to do the main events, and what I was what I was tasked with was no different than usual. And so that was another bit of evidence that he thought I was kind of fragile. But yeah, I wasn't. Like, all I understood. I'm a very low maintenance kind of <laughs> yeah. player. You know, and it's you know whatever the boss wants, he wants, and um, and I only believe part of what I'm told, and that's evidenced by "Don't worry, Gary, your position is safe." And then you know, within a couple of years, he uh, he xed me out. So, which was his right to do so. It's his product, you know, to craft. Well, I, how did you feel um, about Michael Buffer coming in? Because as a fan. Um, and this is 1993, he kind of started coming in for, for pay-per-views uh, here and there. But um, as a fan, it was always confusing. I, I uh, In later years, it definitely made sense. Uh, as a fan, to me, it was confusing. Like, I associated all those big main events with you and your voice. And there was, um, obviously, WCW 1993 was a, was a confusing time and, and not a great time for the company as it was. But it was always confusing to me as a fan. Granted, I was young, but how did you feel kind of as an announcer that had been used to, you know, dealing with those stars, announcing those main events, and then they bring in Michael Buffer? I, I didn't have a, a huge problem with it. Um, once again, like I'm a team player, and if, if that's what the creator of the product wants, then I think he should be able to use me however he thinks I best fit. So um, there was no, no friction, no problem. Uh, Michael was a nice guy. You know, we got along fine. Um, it didn't change much of what I did except one match a night I didn't introduce. It's Well, and only for those big shows. Right. Uh, which was just a, a small percentage of what I did. Well, I heard you say in an interview, now this is a little tongue-in-cheek, of course, but that if you want your company, company to take off, you fire me. Because you leave WWF and Hulkamania takes off, you leave WCW, Nitro, and the NWO take off. So is there a part of you that goes to the what if you were there for those unparalleled explosions of the industry? Never, no. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, I mean, I can look back and I can see the decisions that I made. Um, I, I was never fired by uh, WWF. I, you know, I just, just stopped working for them. I didn't quit. I wasn't fired. I think we just both knew the time was up. Um, any decision that I made, um, I can justify within myself for what I knew at the time and what the circumstances were at the time. Um, so probably if I wasn't, um, if, if my time with WCW didn't come to an end when it did, I probably would have never written my book. So like there are reasons for things. And... Um, you know, I, I've I've been in the industry for forty years, so I don't think I have too much to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, let's um, talk about something that a lot of wrestling fans do complain about. Yet for me, this is one of the highlights of my childhood because Starcade '90 uh, is one of my favorite events of all time, and we're going to get into that a little bit because uh, obviously, people. Looking back at that, always point, of course, to the Black Scorpion angle is one of the worst in wrestling history. Yet, as a fan, I was hooked. Take us through that event. You were there in St. Louis and what I consider to be a great event. You had uh, this Pat O'Connor tag team tournament going on. Great tag teams that we've never seen before or since. And you had this main event, Sting 
and the Black Scorpion that turns out to be Ric Flair. Just kind of take us through through that whole thing and uh, what your thoughts were on that. Uh, again, I thought it was a great event, but a lot of people did not enjoy the payoff. It was a little um, that you know that particular um, episode was a little bizarre. Um, I, I sort of remember um, it looked like a an inverted petaled flower, right? That, that came down from the field. <laughs> yeah. And then the and then the and then the petals rose, and then the black scorpion came out. Um, to tell you the truth, I, I whenever there were um, um, whenever there were circumstances that like were thuds, you know, like the ding dongs, like you know anything like that. It you know you can't hit a home run each time, and um, I'm there to to put the best foot forward of the promotion I'm working with. Um, to tell you the truth, what stands out in my mind more than anything is having an opportunity to bring Dick the Bruiser to the to the ring that night. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's sort of who I was named after. You know, the world's most dangerous wrestler, the world's most dangerous announcer. Um. So, um, I mean, that to me that was that was a highlight of the night. That the the Black Scorpion um, episode culminated that night it, it really didn't affect me one way or the other it, it was just another uh, wrestling angle and um, some people responded to it a lot of people um, you know weren't th- weren't thrilled with it I mean you're talking to a guy who introduced Robocop I mean a lot of right. people weren't, <laughs> weren't thrilled with that either so it was just yeah like a, like a blip in a in a in a very long career well, Gary, after your time with WCW, I wanted to get your thoughts on just the NWO angle and Hulkamania turning heel, becoming Hollywood Hulk Hogan. He's in the ring there at Bash at the Beach. Uh, mean Gene Oakland's in there trying to get his interview. Everyone's getting pelted with trash and just kind of that storyline. Was that the biggest in wrestling history? Is it just that clear that it was that big and, and that stands out from all the others? Well, to tell you the truth, I, I wasn't tuned in at that time. I had no, I wasn't following WCW when I left it. Um, I left in um, May of 95. Nitro started in September of 95. And um, I didn't continue watching what was going on. So I know that it was huge, you know, because of, um, you know, when I go to conventions and I, and I see folks still wearing NWO T-shirts um, as much as they wear Austin 316 T-shirts. Mm-hmm. But I have no um, firsthand relationship to to that angle i was uh, i was long gone um uh, gary um obviously um a lot of people still to this day um hail your book uh body slams uh, memoirs of a wrestling pitch man um as as one of the great and definitely one of the first um books that really gave an insight into the wrestling business um it came out i think right around the time uh, mick foley's book did maybe just after um, it's still available on Amazon. It's a great read, especially now that you can't go to a movie or to a bar or a restaurant. I highly suggest this book, Gary. Um, it's on Amazon. Still grab it. Just talk about this book. 20 years later, um, still being talked about. It got re-released, I think, a few years um, after on paperback. So just kind of take us through the process of uh, why you decided to do the book at the time that you did it. Uh, now, unbelievably, 20 years later. Well, at the time, I had... Um... I had completed 21 years as an announcer, and I had no intention of writing a book, but it's very difficult after um, 
so many years of being involved in the industry to, um, you know, to not be involved. So uh, it was more like a therapeutic exercise. I just started to write down some thoughts, and I just kept on writing and writing, and it, and it turned into a book. Um, <clears throat> you know, at a certain point, I realized, well, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, continue with this. Um, 90 plus percent of what's in the book, um, I experienced firsthand. So I know everything to be in body slams to be 100% accurate. And um, I enjoyed, I, I just, I, it was like reliving the first 21 years of, of my life. And I, and I sat home for two years. I didn't uh, announce, I didn't teach, I did nothing more than uh, write the book um, or edit. Every day I did something on it. And um, it was it was a, a lot of fun. I mean, it was actually being an author is the number one. I mean, if I could make a living doing that, that would be it, because you have total control over your time and you know what you do. Um, I, I was just careful. Um, there's certain things that didn't need to be said. There's no reason to like uh, to bring up any kind of incident that would hurt someone's life in the present but I was brutally honest with those things that I talked about and anyone that I encountered. Um, you know, when you're an announcer, you're the, you're the lowest guy in the totem pole of the broadcast team. So um, how Bruno Sammartino, how Sting, like how the top stars treat you reveals a lot about them. And uh, I, I, I just picked those two out because they were top-notch individuals. Um, there were others, you know, who um, had no use for me. <laughs> you know, they didn't <laughs> appreciate. And, and, you know, this goes along with, uh, like, a promoter, you know, also. You know, they didn't appreciate the, um, my position, you know, and what I contributed. Um, no one ever bought a ticket to CGMC. No one ever tuned into a TV show. To see me, no one ever turned off a TV show because I wasn't the ring announcer. I understood that, and I understood what my position was. I understood what my role was, and it was very simple. It was to enhance the top talent who sold the ticket, who got the ratings. Um, that was it. And, you know, um, wrestling fans are very observant, and they're very smart, and they appreciated that. I always had an excellent um, relationship with, with fans, especially in the cities where we would return over and over and over again. Like when I was working with Jim Crockett Promotions, we would go to the Baltimore Arena every month for years. Um, center stage where we did the WCW Saturday night taping, yep. it was the same crowd each and every time. So um, I had a... a I had a, a terrific relationship interacting with the fans, remembering that from the very beginning, the ring announcer is the representative of the promotion who uh, the fans could get closest to, who the fans could interact with. Everybody else is in and out and um, on the road again. So um, I, I cherish those times and, and the relationships and the friendships that I built along the way. Well, Gary, we cherish um, all the times that uh, we were able to had the fortune 
uh, of watching you. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely beg to differ. I'm a huge fan of your work. I mean, you, you're a fixture of our childhoods and we thank you very much for being, um, as, as great as you were, you sold those guys to me as a young fan. And it was the, my indoctrination into the, into the business. So thank you so much, um, for, um, lending us some of your time here this morning, my friend, it's been just a true pleasure. We'll definitely have to catch up again down the road, man. Thanks so much for doing it with us. I appreciate it. If anyone wants to catch, catch up with me online, you can go to my Facebook page, which is my initials, GMC, the number four real, GMC for real, or it's uh, Gary Capetta on Twitter. And uh, I do a bunch of interacting with fans there, too. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary. Catch up soon. Thanks a lot. Well, there you have it. The world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta, getting to all of it from his firing, Michael Buffer coming in, working for the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, his days in WCW, the infamous Black Scorpion, Noah, uh, who wound up being Ric Flair, by the way. Spoiler alert if you're going to watch Starcade 90. I know a lot of you probably are right now. Um, all that and much more. Great to get into it with Gary. And now we're off and running. We have a lot to do here on the Main Event Podcast. A lot of events. We're going to be covering a lot of things. We're going to be kind of going back and revisiting some of our uh, great interviews from the past as well, like Kurt Angle. Absolutely. I can't wait to get into all of this and more. I mean, Alex Wright, Mark Marrow's got a tremendous story, a great motivational speaker now. Uh, so that's a really interesting one that uh, you guys are definitely going to want to tune into. And uh, yeah, the Black Scorpion, that is the only way I refer to Ric Flair from now on. <laughs> I'm sure he would love to hear that. Just call him that next time you run into him. Um he actually hilariously had to wrestle like a robotic style, which is what made the match really bad. Not only was the presentation bizarre, uh, the Black Scorpion is uh, descending down from, like uh, Gary Michael Capetta mentioned, some flowery-looking spaceship uh, came down, and the Black Scorpion comes out. Ric Flair has to wrestle so that nobody knows it's him. He can't do his signature maneuvers or fly over the turnbuckle or anything like that. So... Um, just hilarious. Great stuff. I love WCW from back in the day, and we're going to do a lot of events, a lot of things, a lot of wrestlers, WWE, WCW, uh, anything we can here on this podcast. We hope you'll subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, any way you choose to take in podcasts, please subscribe. Our website is ignitroentertainment.com. That's where all of our wrestling stuff is archived. We also got pop culture stuff, nostalgia, 80s, 90s. If you're into any of that stuff from video games to toys to uh, movies and television, it's all there on Ignitro Entertainment. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Main Event. <laughs>